Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. First section of this sermon is by faith. This is a huge statement, by faith. Did you know that there's nothing that you can do to gain standing with God? Zero. By faith. Here we go. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in a land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So when we say by faith, you have to understand that by faith doesn't just mean believing something. Just believing something. Belief in its truest form animates your activity. Belief and faith in its truest form animates activity. But I want you to understand this, that that activity is not what gets you God's promise. Faith, because it's who, who gives it in the first place? You can't drum it up. You can't make it happen. It's God giving you something and you just walking in it. Walking in it. And this is vitally important for our understanding. It was the same way for Abraham as it is for us today. <clears throat> when we look at the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, we see that it is a covenant of one. It's a covenant of one. Now, in the time period that Abraham walked the earth, there was rituals around covenants. Okay, what is a covenant? The, the best thing we have, and we don't even do it well in our culture, is the covenant of marriage. Where you, you, we still do this thing where we have rituals around a covenant. It's more than just going to the, you know, the, the town hall and signing a paper. It's not a contract, even though there's a contract portion of it. It's a covenant. We do weird things. Have you ever heard of what was called a unity candle? It has nothing to do with your legal um, marriage. It is a ritual that includes candles and fire and it's weird. It's a weird thing. I mean, I've done enough weddings now where, like, unity candles are, like, so last year. <laughs> now we do unity sand. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck is unity sand? <laughs> ah, the next thing's going to be, like, getting weird is be, like, unity kittens or something. I don't want to. I have my kitten. You have your kitten. And we rub them together and make sparks. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it could be. I mean, the way things are going, it could be. 
the Unity Kitten. Anybody wants to do a wedding, I will pay for it if you do Unity Kittens. <laughs> Just to make it interesting. <laughs> but the whole idea of a Unity Candle is that one family comes up, they light one candle, and the other family comes up, and they light another candle. And then the bride and groom take those two family units, and they light a center candle, meaning that the two candles are, are um, uniting to form this new family. And anybody seen Jim Gaffigan's take on marriage? It's funny. All right. But the idea is this. When we did it back, whoa, 21 years ago? Love you, honey. <laughs> they told us that if you light the unity candle, after you light the unity candle, you have to blow out the candles of the family. I said, what? They didn't die. They're not like gone. They're still part of it. So I said, no, we're not, like, we're not blowing out the candles. So mom, you left your candle, we did left your candle burning. So uh, that's dumb. Who's blowing out the candles? It's like, can I have my inheritance now? <laughs> but it's a, it's a ritual. It's a covenant ritual. Weddings, you know, the rings, the whole thing. That's the closest thing we have to a covenant, and I think it's much more sanitary than what Abraham has. See, in Abraham's day, um, when you made a blood covenant with somebody, you would make sacrifice on behalf of that covenant. And what would happen is that you would, you would uh, half animals, and you would only do one. But in this narrative that we're going to read, there's multiple animals that are halved and laid Aside, and then you would walk into the midst of the dead, of the dead animal, the, the half animal, and you would make a covenant. And what that would mean is this: May it be to me like this sacrifice if I go back on our blood covenant. You got to keep your side, and I got to keep my side. And if we don't, you are able to kill me, and it, it will be and your hands will be clean. So let's read it out of the Word of God, okay? Turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. I just want to give you a little bit of context so that when we read this, you're not like, what's with the animals and the... But you're going to see something that's interesting about this because in in a human covenant of the time, two parties would walk through the sacrifice. There's something unique about this. 15, Genesis 15, verse 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. Now, after, you know, so after these events, so this time has passed since Abraham has come out of Ur of the Chaldees, which is where he came from. If you didn't know that, when Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, he was 70. So he lived in Ur, and he was called out at 70 years old. Now, people lived longer in that period. Abraham lived to be about 180 years old. Okay? Sarah, likewise. So, after he came out of Ur of the Chaldees, he's been sojourning in the promised land, which is not his own, and then God comes to him a second time. He said, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus. Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. The one, uh, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. 
This is 10 years after he comes out of Ur. So he's been wandering Ur, the, Cal- uh, Ur um, excuse me, the promised land for 10 years, and now he's 80. Just for context. Okay? Verse 5. He took him, uh, took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Verse 6. Key verse. Ready? Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. What does it take for Abram to be counted righteous? Belief. Belief. Verse 7. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said... Abraham speaking, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? That may be a kind of, God just made a covenant with him. Why is he asking this question? Because he's been walking around for 10 years. So he's like you and me. He's just a guy who's stepped out in belief and that God hasn't spoken to him in 10 years. And then God comes to him again and says, Don't be afraid. It's me. Remember me? Don't be afraid. I got you still. So Abraham's like, Abram right now is like, okay, but I don't have any kids. You didn't provide. Don't worry. You're going to take care of that. But how do I, how will I know that I'm going to possess this land? Because it's been 10 years and and I'm still wandering around. So he's just like you. And do you see that? He's a normal dude. Sometimes we put these, these heroes of faith on a pedestal that makes them Far greater than, than we could ever imagine. Really. No, he's just being, he's just stepping out in faith. And you can do that as well. Okay? Mm-hmm. Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? Number, number verse 9. He said to him, Bring me three, a three year old cow, a three year old female goat, a three year old ram a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, remember I said the sacrifices for a blood covenant usually was like one thing? He's like, we're going to do the whole thing. We're going to run the gambit here. So this is where this covenant ritual that we talked about earlier comes in. Verse 10. So he brought all of these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. That's important to know because... Why do we care? Okay. <laughs> Just, 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 just in case you were worried about the birds being cut in half, did Details. Verse 11. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Now, that's a sermon right there. That's a sermon right there. That's a sermon right there. When the enemy comes and tries to steal your promise, you need to cast it. I mean, that goes back into, into the first week stuff, Right? Take every thought captive. Don't let the enemy come and steal your promise. you got to defend it. Right? All right, here we go. I won't preach it because be ready. It's coming someday. (laughs) Number 12. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Every time somebody's presented with a person of God, this is how they feel. Why? Because they're sinners. 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, 
Now this is for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them. They'll be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve. And afterward, they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And he was too. In the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Another sermon there. Verse 17. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoke fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, I give this land to your offspring, from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River. Only one person passed through the covenant. Abraham was not, he, he, there was only one, this is a one-sided Covenant. God said, I'm going to keep my covenant with you. All you have to do is believe. Believe. I swear on myself that I will, I will keep my promises. There's an important passage in Hebrews 6, 13 through 15. It says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you. I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. So we have this covenant. Abraham is now living. He's 80 years old. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. It's going to be reliant on who I am, not who you are. And I'm going to keep my word. And then he starts doing it. Sarah, who is now, but another 10 years goes by, by the way. And Abraham is 90 years old. Sarah's 80 years old. And she gets pregnant. She has a son. And it's exactly what God had promised them. Though it was naturally impossible. So Abraham, uh, Abraham, Abraham becomes Abraham, and Sarai becomes Sarah, and they start living this life of promise, and it's a good thing, and years go by, and then God shows up again. Genesis 22, open your Bibles to Genesis 22. This passage is bizarre. It's a bizarre passage. It's an incredibly important passage for both Jewish and Christian theology. But it is bizarre. And it has been enacted and, and played out on film and TV multiple times. And this is what you get from the story. God comes down, tells Abraham, Abraham, you have to now... Take the son that I gave you that you love and you need to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham gets nervous. Oh, my God. Oh, no. What's going to happen? Ah. You know, he's, he's 
emotional and, and, he, and, he's, and he's walking up the mountain and he's all stressed out. And the kid asks, God, Dad, where's the, where's the, the sacrifice? We have the wood, we have the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Oh, God, God will provide. Oh, I hope he provides. And then he gets to the top of the mountain and he builds the altar. And, and he has Isaac laying out the, 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 the wood on it. And, and he comes up behind his son and he grabs him and he ties him up and puts him on the altar. And it's like this angst filled and the kid's like, no! It's very dramatic. It's very Hollywood. It's not in Scripture. I want to read this to you. And I want you to see the quiet, calm faith of a man who trusts God with all that he has. When you read it, you're going to be like, this is not normal. He's not stressed out about this. Why? Here we go. Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and if your Bible has an exclamation point, it's that word, it's the way people depict God. Abraham. <laughs> That's what it means. I don't know what God sounds like, but everybody in movie and TV thinks he sounds like this. Abraham. <laughs> he said, here I am. Verse 2, take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him as, your, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I will tell you about There's a whole other sermon there. Verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning. God said, go, sacrifice your son, and Abraham wanted to get an early start. <laughs> Did you, where was the, but God, you gave him to me. How could you take him away? Don't you love me? There's nothing like that. It says, hey, let's get an early start on this day. Zip-bidi-doo-da. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's what's in Scripture. That's what's in Scripture. He got told to sacrifice his son, and he gets up early to do it. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split the wood for the burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. Now, you often hear that, you know, maybe he got up early because Sarah liked to sleep late. And he was not telling the mom about this. If the mom had anything to do with it, this would not happen. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Ready? What does it say? Then we'll come back to you. We'll come back. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And in his hands he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, My father. And he replied, Here I am, son. Like we all do. <laughs> Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. He doesn't say, Yeah. I was, didn't want to tell you this until we got to the top, but you're it. <laughs> and no point along the line is there any wavering in Abraham's faith that this is going to turn out okay. Keep going. The two of them walked on together. 
Then they arrived at the place that God had told them about. Abram built an altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. There is no mention of struggle. There's not this... I mean, do you remember earlier when they were talking? I mean, details are kind of important in Scripture. We learned that the birds were not cut in half. Right? Like, who cares? The fact is, it's a detail. What you read in the scriptures you need to understand is what is meant to be told. There's no struggle, which means Isaac is as faithful to this uh, God as Abram is. It's amazing. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abram reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. I mean, I have to imagine somewhere in his head he's thinking, any time now. Any time. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, and then back to the exclamation point, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. For I know now that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw exactly what he expected from God at this point in his life. A ram stuck in thickets. By the horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Why is this passage so important to the theology of Judaism and Christianity? I want to tell you. Because man is sinful. We deserve to be sacrificed, yet God stops the hand of judgment and instead puts in a scapegoat. Instead, offers up a lamb to be slaughtered in our place. Sound like anybody you might know? And it's so cool, and I'll tell you why it's so cool. Because on the mountain of God, it will be provided. Most theologians believe that Abraham made that altar for his son Isaac on the same places, on the same mountain range, maybe even the exact location where Jesus died on the cross. On the mountain of God. It's the same place. That's why it's vitally important to our understanding of redemption. And the angel of the Lord called Abram the second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn. This is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done these things and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands in the seashore. Your offspring will, uh, will possess the city gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Hebrews 11, 17-19 says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promise, and yet he was offering his one and only son. 
the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He knew this. He said, God said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. So he said, there's no way God can kill him. God is a keeper of his covenant. Even to the point of this. He considered God able to even raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. God's going to keep his promise. Even if Isaac were, would have had to die, God would have raised him because his promise was through Isaac. Can anybody see any correlation between that story and our Messiah? Even if God had to raise him from the dead, he was going to keep his promise, that the promise to all peoples of the world would come through the body of Abraham, through Isaac, into the person of Jesus Christ. Come on, that's cool! The Bible's actually really cool. You might think this. Abraham was a man of great faith. That is why God was able to bless him. I'm not that. Abraham was a man of great faith. And that's why, that's the only reason God was able to bless him. Well, yes and no. He was a man of great faith, absolutely. But that great faith at that moment of Moriah followed a lot of stuff. Psalms 37, 23 to 24. And I want you to read this very carefully because it shows where God sits in this equation. The steps of a righteous man. Abraham was considered righteous because why? Because he believed, right? The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Now watch the second part. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him. With his hand. Abraham wasn't perfect. God's promise and covenant was perfect. Genesis 15, 16 said, Abraham believed and became righteous because of it. The steps of a righteous man, meaning Abraham, meaning any one of us. Steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord and God upholds him, even though he falls down. Flat in his face. See, though Abraham believed in God, the covenant of God was not based on Abraham's ability to be perfect. It was on God's faithfulness to keep his promise, even when Abraham and his family were faithless. I mean, just look at the history of Israel. It's not good in a lot of ways. God had to do some serious work on his behalf in order to keep this, his own covenant. Remember I said at the beginning, Abraham was called out of Ur at, at uh, 70 years old? And he left. And he went into a land and that, he's so faithful. He went and he didn't even know where he was going, but he left and he went there. You know what happened in a few years? There was a famine. There was a famine. God didn't tell him to go anywhere. God 
said, stay, go, go to the promised land, stay there. But Abraham decided, you know what? <sighs> Going to Egypt. And he left the promised land. He left God's provision for him, and he took matters into his own hands. And then we're going to go to Egypt. And if that wasn't so bad, to leave the promise, I mean, that makes sense. If you could give him a little slap for that. This next thing, no. He goes, you know what? My 60-year-old wife is a knockout. <laughs> Apparently she was. He said, my, six, my 60-year-old wife, she is a knockout. And I know if I go to Egypt, the Pharaoh's going to want her for his wife. And you know what he'll do? He'll kill me. She must have been a knockout. Or she just had a really good personality. <laughs> anyway, he wasn't wrong. He goes to Egypt, and Pharaoh's like, she's a knockout. I need her. So Abraham's like, tell, let's tell him that you're my sister. So he won't kill me. Does this sound like a faithful guy who's believing God to take care of him? Fish? No. Sounds like someone who's out of God's will, out of God's plan, and trying to make it up as he goes along. So, thankfully, God did intervene and kept Sarah pure from Pharaoh. He actually started putting plagues on Egypt before the you know, plagues you know about. Egypt's all about the plagues. And, and Pharaoh's like, what did you do to me? Why did you tell me she was your sister? I wouldn't, what the heck, get out of here. So they left, they went back to the promised land. So Abraham learned his, Abraham learned his lesson right there. Not really. He does the same thing in another time to King Abimelech of Greer. He's like, you know what? You're 10 years older, but still not now. <laughs> and it happens again. She must have been something special. Because the king of Greer is like, I, I want that knockout. Tell him you're my sister. And he does it again. And everybody in the Greer starts getting plagues, tumors, all these bad things. And the king is told that if you touch her, you're going to die. So call Abram over and ask him to pray for you. See the faithlessness here? But God kept taking care of Abraham and taking care of Sarah. Poor Sarah, she'd be like peddled out. Takes care of her, keeps her pure. Even in spite of Abram's faithlessness. So he learned his lesson. Just a little while later, Sarah's like, you know what? This ain't, this ain't happening. My child-bearing years are long gone. Why don't you take my, my servant, Hagar? And Abram's like, no, okay. <laughs> and he tries to manipulate the promise through a slave. What was his first thing? He said, God, how will I know? You haven't given me a child, and a slave in my own house will be my heir. And now he's going back to that. I said, no, 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 no. So that whole thing plays out. And I'm telling you, Ishmael and, and uh, Isaac is still a problem. 
Thousands of years later, that struggle is still playing out today. Thanks, Abraham. Each time, it's not Abraham's good decision-making, unwavering trust, or rock-solid faithfulness, but rather God's covenant. Trustworthiness and faithfulness that bring Abraham and the Israelite nation back and up through the time of Jesus. They're constantly faithless. They're constantly moving outside of God's will. But God's promises remain. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that Abraham and the people of Israel were never able to be. Jesus comes along through the line of Abraham, and he fulfills everything that they couldn't. Where they were faithless, he was faithful. Where they were timid, he was self-sacrificing. And God kept his promises in spite of their faithlessness. And Abraham, at the end of the day, is still called righteous. Why? Because it's not about Abraham. It's about God. Abraham could never be righteous on his own. It's about believing the word of God. So many people have a hard time with saying, how can salvation come by me just believing that Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago? Anybody ever heard that? How does that even, how does it? It's always been how God makes people righteous. Because we are unable to be righteous on our own, period. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says this, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not about you. Well, Pastor, you're saying I don't have to be you know, a good person? That's not what I'm saying. Don't twist my words. That's not what I'm saying. Abraham walked it out, but he wasn't perfect. Walk it out. But you're not going to be perfect. And thank God that it's not about you. It's about him. You are saved by faith, through uh, grace, through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. Jesus is the one who made the covenant and keeps the covenant. Jesus is. So what is our role in this? Are you saying we have no role in this, Pastor? <clears throat> nope. 2 Timothy 1, 8-12 says this. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord. Nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us in a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of our own, uh, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before the ages began, he gave it. He was the one who made the covenant, and he's the one who fulfills the covenant. And which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. 
who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, for I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been trusted to me. Belief. Belief that God is exactly who he said he was, that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And then it's God's job to guard that until that day. What? Again, I hate to keep bringing this up, but it's not about you. We believe. We trust. We walk it out. Yes, we do. We walk it out. We live by faith, not by sight. We, we, uh, we do good works because we want to be more like Christ. We do these things. But your salvation is not predicated on your actions. It's predicated on God's actions. And we believe it and we receive it. It's a gift of God, not of works. So stop boasting. You can't do it. Get over it. He can. So as you walk this thing out, you're going to make mistakes. The idea is, you're going to make mistakes. Hopefully you won't, like, pawn your wife off. That's a big one. But you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. You're going to fall. You're going to fall. God will keep his covenant. And it's our job to proclaim it until he comes. That's it. God is going to keep his promises. It's our job to proclaim it until he comes. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for everything that you are. Lord, help us not to overstep. Help us understand that we are, that it's not about us. It's about you, your desire to save, your desire to restore, your desire to take our punishment on yourself. And and you give us your promises. You give us salvation. All we need to do is receive. And you will empower us by your Holy Spirit to walk it out. Even when we make mistakes, you keep your promises. So God, I pray that you would be my brothers and sisters today. That you have helped them to know that you will keep that which you committed until the day in their lives as they continually believe. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless.